All right. This will be really interesting to you, you know. Every once in a while, I'm working on a message, and I started uh, looking and studying from Proverbs 30, and I got so intrigued with one word, and I recognized that's the theme I wanted to preach on, but Proverbs 30 didn't lend itself. That wasn't the theme of where I was going. So you know what I did? I said, I'm preaching on this theme. I felt impressed to do that. So we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah, and I'm going to have a stand today as we're going to go to the Lord in prayer right now. And I'm going to ask God to do a supernatural work. Uh, you know, I'm so excited about today. I'll tell you why. This morning, about 3.30 in the morning, I was engaged in a tremendous spiritual battle because I recognized uh, we have an adversary. How do, you, how do you have a spiritual battle, Pastor? How many have ever had those moments when you recognize another presence is in the room and it's not the presence of God? It's the presence of the adversary. You can sense it, uh, you know. It's just a weird sense. And, you know, so I got up and I realized you know, I was thinking of Martin Luther, you know, and the devil appeared to him. He just, oh, you, and he just turned around and went back to sleep. Well, I, I got up and went to the restroom, and I was thinking about what Luther's thoughts were, but I was interceding, and I, and I sensed, I, was, I woke up in the middle of this dream because what I was doing was battling for what was going to happen this morning. And then I had our prayer partners join me in prayer because I believe God's going to expose a work of darkness today that's going to set a whole bunch of people free. How many think that's amazing? So that's what we're going to pray for today, that people are going to walk in freedom, that you're going to be set free because I know some of you right now, you're struggling, and some of you are despairing, and some of you are walking in weariness, and some of you are discouraged, and I believe that by the service time ends today, you are not going to be there. You're going to be in a whole new place. You're going to have an encounter with the living God, and you are going to be encouraged today, all right? So Father, we pray right now. We believe that I've been sharing my heart right now, and I know that you want to do a super supernatural work in our hearts, Lord. You want to lift our vision away from the challenges that are being presented to us and the restrictions and the encumbrances and the frustrations. And Lord, you want to lift our emotions. You want to lift our spirits. You want to lift our eyes. You want us to cast a vision upward, Father, so that we, as we have sung it already, Father, you who have been faithful in the past, you have brought down wall cities. You have taken down giants. Lord, you're the amazing amazing God, and you are the same today as you were back then, and you want to do the same things for us that you did in the past. And Lord, I pray today that we would experience supernatural victory in our lives, and I pray that you set every heart free today in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to have you turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, and I want to just bring something to your attention. How many of you ever consider what it would have been like to be cooped up in the ark. I mean, can you think about it? It, it? You know, Noah and his family are in the big boat. They've got all these animals in there, and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. But how many know they didn't get out of the boat on the 41st day? How many know that? The waters had come over the surface of the deep, and if you read carefully, you'll find out it took an entire year. So Noah and his family are cooped up in that boat for over a year with those animals. Had to feed them every day. Anybody ever work with livestock? How many know if you feed animals, you also got to clean up after animals? Now, I don't know about you, but this was like a, a, an intense situation in the ark. I mean, you've got to go down there and clean up after the mess. You know, you might be shoveling it out the window. I don't know what you were doing down there, but how many know that that would have been a long experience? That's what I call physical distancing. <laughs> 
That's what I call restriction. You can't leave the boat. How many are catching the picture? You know, so you and I are now living almost a year in COVID-19 and its restrictions and all the rest of it. But how many would have liked to have been with Noah in the boat for a year? Some of you have said, if this is bad, that would have been worse. Can you imagine, you know, being stuck in slavery for 400 years? And you have a promise of a deliverer, and a generation rises with the hope in their heart that God would set them free, and they had not experienced it, and they went to their grave without that realization. Because there did come a day when a deliverer arrived on the scene, but it may not have been exactly when everybody wanted it to happen. I'm sure everybody wanted it to be tomorrow or today, right away. Let's do it, right? Or can you imagine wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, what that was like? And how many know that the main trait of the Israelites in the wilderness wasn't that they were so in love with God and they were trusting God and rejoicing and singing praises to him every single day? As a matter of fact, I get the impression reading the book of Numbers and what the New Testament says, these guys just kept grumbling and complaining every single day, even though God was raining down manna from heaven to feed them every day and made sure their every need was taken care of. As a matter of fact, the Bible says their clothes never wore out. Shoes never wore down. How many think that would really be hard on the retailers? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it's just amazing to me, but yet they struggled. And you know, my, my family and I were doing a devotion together. It's called, And Then Came 41. And in this devotion, they're basically bringing out this idea, and I love it, and it's so true, because the number 40 in the Bible is a very symbolic and a significant number, and it speaks of a time of testing. And folks, right now, we're walking through a time of testing, but I want to declare to you, there came a day when the test ended. There came a day when they came into the promised land. There came a day when the Israelites who were standing on the hillside listening to Goliath taught them for 40 days, and then came the 41st day when David came on the scene, and God used that young man as an instrument to take down that giant. I want to declare to you today that there's a day coming when COVID will come to an end. There is a 41 coming. And we need to hear that today because too many people are walking around all hung up, discouraged, weary, frustrated, angry, and lashing out and emotionally in despair. But you and I need to walk. This is our finest hour. I love what Churchill said to the people of England. He said, in the midst of World War II, when bombs were raining down on London, he said, this could be our finest hour. And it was. Because they stood up in the midst of that time of testing. They did not give up. They did not give in. They did not falter. They did not faint. 41 came. The war came to an end. But here's what I want to say to us. What are we doing as believers? This is the hour when our little light should so shine. You and I should be so full of the Holy Spirit. You and I should have a hope in Almighty God. You and I need to have our gaze transformed. And that's where we're going to go to this morning. Sometimes we may wonder within ourselves why God has not seen our plight or rescued us from our prison of restriction or whatever trial that we're facing. The only problem of surrendering to our emotions is that it will not bring the needed hope and comfort that we so passionately long for. We allow our emotions to define our lives. Isn't that true? Come on now. 
We're not talking here about superficial needs. I know there's challenges. I believe that there's an inner longing for love that's unconditional, a sense of security, a confidence in the future, and a measure of worth and dignity and value as an individual. I believe that those are all things God puts inside of us. There's a longing for those things, but where do you think that's going to be found? In God alone. In God alone. We need to turn to him. Augustine was right when he, when he basically said these words, our hearts find no rest until they find their rest in thee, speaking of God. And so here in Isaiah chapter 20, uh, 40, verse 27, he says, Why do you complain, Jacob? And why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Or as we would say it in our terminology, where is God in this mess? Isn't that kind of where we're at? Hey, God, you know my address? And you know, we can say that in a very personal way. If we're going through a crisis, we're going through a personal difficulty, and we wonder sometimes, hello, God, do you know I'm still on the planet? You ever felt that way? You ever felt abandoned? You ever wondered where God was? You ever gone through a difficult time? Listen, if you haven't, you will. There's always those challenging moments. There's always times of testing. But you know what? 41 is going to come. There's a day that's going to come to an end. I keep telling you, COVID's going to come to an end. It will come to an end, folks. Believe me, it will come to an end. How do you know, Pastor? Because I study history, and I notice that every pestilence comes to an end, even when they don't even figure out the vaccines. Study history. They didn't have vaccines after the bubonic plague. Just pointing these things out, they will come to an end. You know, I think we rarely, uh, we rarely see ourselves as the problem. We always look at the other situations around us, right? And we get upset with God. God gets blamed for everything. Let me notice that. If you can't find somebody to blame, you blame God. Because in our minds, he seems indifferent to our plight. He might seem indifferent to our pain or our present situation or our circumstances. Could it be that in our world we take ourselves far too seriously and God not seriously enough? What do you think? Could it be that our world originates with ourselves at the center and God is somewhere on the sidelines, but when we're in crisis we say, hey, where are you, God? Can I just challenge us? Let's put God at the center all the time. So when the crisis comes... You won't be wondering where he is because he's still at the center. That's real simple. How simple is that solution? In Isaiah chapter 40, we gain a new glimpse of the majesty of God. I think that brings renewed hope. You know, I feel like we need a word of hope this morning. We need a word of encouragement. We're going to see it. I'm just skipping some parts here. Oh, that's the part I wanted to get to. A vision of God can transform our worn, broken, and empty hearts and fill us with incredible hope and joy. That's what we need. We need a renewed vision of God. Our understanding regarding the nature and character of God determines how we're going to respond to him. See, if you understand who God really is, it changes you. It changes how you see life. But a lot of times we have, we've, under, we've, we've kind of negated who God is. We, we, have a, we have a God after our own understanding. See, I, I'm concerned. 
I'm concerned that we don't know this true and this living God. I think we fashion a God after who we think God should be or what we think he should be like or after our understanding of a God or actually it's a lot of times after our understanding of who we are and what we would do in that situation. Isn't that true? Well, if I was God, I would do this, but you're not God. And I'm saying, thank God. <laughs> and I'm not God, thank God. God is so much smarter than us, so much stronger, so much wiser. In Isaiah 40, we're going to discover something of the awesomeness of God. I'm going to want to catch a glimpse of who God is. I want to have a vision of God. I'm praying this morning you'll have a vision of God. I want you to have such a high and lofty vision of God. See, I believe that the higher your vision of God is, the greater your confidence will be in life. How's that? It'll change you. It'll transform you. It can't help but do that. I mean, Isaiah, he's a prophet and he's a priest and he's in the temple, but when he has a vision of God, he's totally changed. He sees himself as he really is, somebody who's in need of forgiveness, and he sees the awesome nature of Almighty God. Well, let's take a look. There's gonna, we're going to look here at four aspects of God's character that I believe is going to lift your spirits today. It's going to help you move past your weariness. We're going to talk about how that's going to happen. We're going we're to actually, at the end, have an exchange with God. First of all, his eternal nature. Do you know integrity is being consistent with what we, who we are and what we do and what we say? We know this about God. What he says he'll do because that's who he is. He cannot lie, and he's always capable of performing what he says he'll do. Listen to what uh, Isaiah 40, verse 8 says. Now, I want you to remember Isaiah chapter 40, and if you were looking at the literary genre, this is poetry. Okay, so everybody has to understand poetry. What does poetry do? It gives you symbols and word pictures. They're succinct statements with powerful emotion. It, it, it elicits emotion from us. It says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. What's it saying? It's saying everything in life is transitory, but God is eternal. Okay? I would even argue that every circumstance you and I will experience in this life is transitory. What does that mean, Pastor? It, it'll, it'll, it'll eventually come to an end. The only thing that will endure in this world is the word of God. That's it. And I believe words are incredibly powerful. They reveal our hearts. They judge our motives. You know, when we say something, oh, it's coming from within somewhere, our innermost being. And they're used by God to create faith and life and hope and healing, truly to move mountains. God's word is so powerful. When you and I embrace them, it changes us. When you and I uh, act on God's word, it can bring eternal life. When you and I act on God's word, it can actually bring freedom and deliverance in our life. It can bring hope into our spirits. It can lift us up. You know, you and I can come into a place where our circumstances may not even change, but our whole attitude and perception of life gets totally transformed, and how we move from that day forward changes how we're going to respond to our lives. It's very powerful. You know, we're told by scientists that every sound we utter goes infinitely through the atmosphere. Every sound, it can carries forever. It's an interesting thought. Jesus thought that the effect of our words, good or evil, believing or unbelieving, go on eternally. Words live forever. You can't take them back. You can ask for forgiveness, but you can't take them back. And words are powerful. 
Listen to what Matthew says. I tell you, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. How many this week can honestly say, I probably said a few careless words. Anybody here probably said a few careless words? Uh, anybody here probably said some words that weren't filtered? You know, words that you just said and didn't think about? But I want you to know, they just keep going into the atmosphere. Wow. No wonder, you know, the wisdom literature keeps telling us, be careful, say less, right? You know, wise people learn to restrain their words. I'm still learning that. I'm, I, you know, I got, I got room for improvement in my life. Anybody else have a little room for improvement with words? Okay. Thanks, guys. I don't feel alone. <laughs> for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's why it says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord, you believe that he died and rose again, you shall be justified. You're going to be saved. You're going to have eternal life. How powerful are words? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Coming out of us. This is where you're coming from. And I think too often we allow the words of people to affect us more than the word of God and his promises. How many say that's true? Let's just be honest right now. How many are right now, social media, news media, all of the postings, all of the things you're reading right now is having a greater impact on your soul right now than the very word of God? How many say that's probably true? Anybody say that's true? Sure it is. Television, radio, whatever medium that you're hearing it. And you know something? Most people don't even have a clue. A lot of so-called experts, oh, they may be expert in one field, but they're talking about stuff they know nothing about. We're just generating a lot of noise out here. And you know, we listen and we suck up all that stuff, and it affects our innermost being. I'm going to ask a different question. How many of you, you actually have a daily devotional life? In other words, you spend every day, sometime in that day, reading Scripture at least once a day. Raise your hand. I want to just see this. Okay? I want to just challenge you right now. The, the number one thing that will change your life is becoming a daily Bible reader. It'll totally change your life. I guarantee this. You practice this for the next month. Every day, read a chapter in the Bible. You'll, your thinking will change. Your attitudes will change. Your emotions will be affected. You'll, it'll strengthen you, and you will not be as deeply affected by the culture around you. Okay, that's my challenge to you. Go do it. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Go do it. Because that's God speaking to you. If you want to listen to everybody else on the planet tell you what's going on, go ahead. But they're affecting your emotions. They're affecting your future. They're affecting your destiny. They're affecting your attitudes. They're affecting your choices. How many would like to have a little word from God? And that, that word all of a sudden becomes personal. You know, I actually journal because I want to make sure I'm paying attention, I'm focused, and I'm writing out what I'm reading, and I'm noticing, and my journals are filled with all kinds of notations of the things that God has spoken into my life. It's powerful. Now, do I get that every day? No. But every day I'm praying, Holy Spirit, show me, teach me your way. And I start reading Scripture. It changes the way you look at life. We forget that God's word is more real, has more substance, will endure the test of time, whereas circumstances come and go. So why are we listening to all this other stuff and not listening to the eternal word of God? That's just my question. Here in Isaiah, it's, it was written at the pro, a, a promise. You see, the first 39 chapters of the book, it's very fascinating. It's kind of a miniature Bible, the book of Isaiah. 
First 39 chapters, warning judgment. Chapters 40 to 66, the last 27 chapters are dealing with the word of Isaiah speaking to a people who have now gone into exile with a promise of comfort and a return back to their land. And that's how he begins the chapter. He says, comfort, uh, this, I just wrote this, isn't it interesting that judgments are to produce peace in our heart? These people had rebelled against God. God allowed them to go into exile. But then he says this in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. In other words, God said, if you sin against me, you're going to produce the eventual consequence of sin, which in the Bible is basically alienation from God. You're separated from God. Our sins separate us from God. And really, that's a state of uh, a relational death. And when you and I do the wrong things, we suffer and people around us suffer. But God is saying, look, you've now experienced the consequences of it. I've forgiven you. I'm going to restore you. How many love it when God says, I've forgiven you. I want to do a restoring work in your life. Isn't that a great word? That's what this chapter is about. God does speak tenderly into our lives after times of testing and trial. After times of discipline, God wants us to be reassured of his love. You know, good parenting, I talked about it a lot last week. You know, a parent disciplines a child not because they're angry with them or frustrated with them or irritated by them. I mean, that's how a lot of parents discipline, but really discipline is meant to correct and instruct and to help, under, help this person understand how to live correctly. But it's done out of love, and so God, every time he disciplines us, he wants to keep reassuring us he doesn't stop loving us. As a matter of fact, his discipline is because he loves us and doesn't want us to destroy ourselves and other people. Isn't that beautiful? So here they were coming back into the land. This is the promise that Isaiah was giving. God said, I'm going to restore you and listen to you. If you have failed in the past, God is a forgiving God. He's a God of the second chance. He wants to restore our lives. He wants to give us a huge hug, lift us up, carry us. And we're going to see that in a moment here. He says here, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rough, rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he's promising to raise up people who were in the valley of despair and devastation, while at the same time leveling those that would exalt themselves. That's what he's saying. It's as we experience the power and presence of God to restore our lives, we have something to say. And after a season of correction and restoration, you know what? We're so affected by it that we feel a compulsion to tell other people. And listen to what David said in Psalm 51. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. See, David had sinned against God. But God had confronted him, and now David, after a year, had repented, and now this is his beautiful prayer. He says, oh, God, you know, I've missed your company. That's what he was saying. I want your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. How many know we need a willing spirit to sustain us right now? Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Isn't that amazing? When you and I have an encounter with God, we want everybody else to share in our good fortune. 
We want everyone to experience the joy and the good life that God brings to those who walk with him. It's so wonderful to have our consciences clean. It's so great to have sin and shame put behind us. It's so great to know God has a future for us and blessings in store for us. It's so great that we want to share it with other people. You know, we should... I I shouldn't even have to tell you to go tell somebody. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're full of God's grace, you're full of God's forgiveness, you're full of God's love, you're full of God's goodness, what else can you do? It just spills out of you. And if it's not spilling out of you, you go, what's wrong with me? Probably a little blockage, right? Lord, do a work in me. Then he says here, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. In other words, we falter, don't we, do we not? He says, the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. He's just basically showing you the temporalness of this life. And isn't it crazy how much energy we put into what's temporary? And we forsake what is eternal. Talk about a lack of understanding and real wisdom in our lives. If you knew you are going to spend all eternity with God, don't you think you should be focusing on that part of your life instead of just focusing on everything that's going to be going, it's blowing right on by? You know, it kind of reminds me of riding in a train, you know, and if you go in these trains that are moving pretty fast, you don't even want to look out the window. You can hardly keep up with it, you know. Wow, just flying by. It says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. That's what we should be preaching to people. God is here. God is here. God is here, folks, right now. He's here. He's present. He's in our lives. He's in Canada. He's in the world today. He's wherever you're living. He's in your house today. God is here. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. God is able. He's coming in power. Can I tell you, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming like a little baby next time. He's not coming back as a servant. He's coming back as a conquering king. He's coming back to rule and to reign on this planet, folks. And his reward is with him. We need to know that. And then we see he is a restoring God. Look how gentle God is. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He carries the lambs in his arm. He carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. Can I just say something? Maybe you're a new person. You're a new Christian. You're saying, Pastor, I've had so many bad habits in the past. I just carry over all that mentality with me into my present. I want you to know God's going to pick you up. He's going to carry you. He's going to heal you. He's going to transform you. You know what I love about being a Christian? He changes your heart. You know, The moment you give your life to Christ, you become a new creation. But can I tell you, it's a journey after that. And what he does after that is amazing. You become a different person. I can honestly say I'm not the same person. You know, if you met people that knew me before as a Christian, or if you met people who grew up with me, or if you met people who knew me a long time ago, and they know me today, they go, not even the same person. 
That's right, because God every day works on changing us, if we'll let him. He'll change us. Second aspect uh, that I notice is his unlimited power. When we think of power, we seldom think of power under control, do we not? We just think of raw power. And God has raw power, but you know what he does? He's meek. How do you know he's meek? Because I've looked at Jesus, and Jesus is meek. And meekness means that you have power, but it's under control. Isn't that amazing? People have really have power. They don't have to exert it because they can control it. And they only use their power for good instead of evil. Isn't it terrible when people have power and they abuse other people with it? Isn't that awful? God doesn't do that. God doesn't abuse people. If he wanted to, he could destroy the whole planet. He doesn't do that. I mean, if God wanted to, he could have wiped us out a long time ago, doing our own thing, rebelling against him, but God doesn't do that. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing, God? Well, we've already read those two verses, 10 uh, 10 and 11, so we'll keep moving on here to verse 12. Let's just take a look at how powerful God is. I love this, and it's it's spoken in, in poetry. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Can you imagine going, yeah, I'm just carrying the Pacific Ocean here. You know, that's my vision of God. Yeah, he's just, oh, I got the Atlantic in the other hand. How many think that's kind of powerful imagery? Or, or, with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Can you imagine going, oh, I'll just move the Rockies. I'll see what they weigh today, how many rocks fell down, you know. Put it on the scale. I mean, he's painting pictures in our minds, but he's giving us a sense of how powerful our God really is. Or, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. This is my favorite one, you know. I should have a bucket up here and put one drop, and he goes, all the nations are equated to one drop. Don't you guys really feel big when God talks to us like we're just a drop in a bucket? The whole planet, all the people in it, 7 billion people are like a drop in a bucket? How many go, that kind of puts us back down to an insignificant size. How many now feel real significant after that statement? You know, But don't you think in relationship to God, aren't we really a drop in the bucket? And really, we're not even a full drop. We're just a part of the drop, right? And they're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before all the nations are as nothing, they're regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Then he says in verse uh, 18 here, to whom then will you compare God? What image will you liken him? Then he goes on, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. Well, if you don't like the drop in the bucket analogy, you're just, you and I are just grasshoppers. <laughs> he stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. That just means all the leaders that are walking around strutting their stuff in our world, thinking they're Mr. Big Stuff or Miss Big Stuff. He said, they're nothing. I can reduce them to nothing. How about that? No human person, you know. Remember, you know, you, you think of Nebuchadnezzar, world-dominating ruler. Look what I have done. Boom. Now he's crawling in the grass out of his mind. Remember that story? He lost his mind, flipped his lid. God took him down to nothing. And then God says, oh, now you know who you are? I'll raise you back up again. God raises up. God brings down. God raises up. It's God that does these things. Let's get a vision of who God is. 
No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Boy, we are not a lot when you think about it. Why, why is he giving us this visual image? Get it in perspective. Who is God and who are we? To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brought out of the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? You know what? God has literally called all of the stars in the universe by name. You can't even keep track of them. They're innumerable. God says, oh, yeah, I know them all. You know, I remember my brother. You know, I said one time, I said, how come you have an Elvis show and nobody else has one? He goes, because I know all of his songs. The rest don't. I said, well, I said, well, how many did that guy know? Oh, about 25. How about that guy, 40? I said, well, how many did Elvis record? Over 500. I said, you know them all? He goes, yeah. Wow, pretty impressive. That's why he has a show, you know? But can you just think about how much more impressive? God goes, yeah, I made all these stars. Well, how many are there? Oh, there's too many to count. Yeah, but I know them all. I know them all. I have a name for every last one of them. And you know, listen to this, folks. One of those stars is our sun, and this planet's floating around that. And here we are hanging on to this little ball floating around our orbit around our sun. Let's get a picture of how great God is. How many are getting more impressed by God by the second? I'm pretty impressed with God. Okay, but if you don't like that, oh, I got to tell the story. This, this is so funny. Patrick O'Boyle tells, tells the story of Frank Sheen, this, this author and publisher, and Sheen is, was noted for being, you know, dealing with hecklers. And after he'd been describing the extraordinary order and design to be seen in the universe, a persistent challenger retorted by pointing out all the world's ills and ended up shouting, I could make a better universe than your God, to which Sheen replied in his characteristic wit. I won't ask you to make a universe, but could you just make a habit to establish some confidence? In other words, could you just create a rabbit out of nothing, you know, so that can have a little confidence that you have the ability to create a universe? Third aspect is unsearchable wisdom. Who can fully grasp what God is doing? In our limited understanding, we never fully grasp how God works out his purposes in our world. Isn't that true? I go, I don't get what God's doing. How many understand what God's doing with COVID? You really understand what he's working. I have to confess, I don't know what he's doing. I know he's doing. I don't know what he's doing, but I do know he's doing it. It says, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or who instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? You know, I love the story of St. Augustine. He was kind of walking down the beach one day, and he was pondering the mystery of the Trinity. And he saw a little boy who was digging a hole in the sand, and he was walking with a seashell over to the, uh, the ocean, grabbing a little water and putting it into the hole. And uh, so Augustine walks up to him, and he, and he says to this little boy, he says, uh, what, are, what are you doing, my little fellow? And he says, well, I'm trying to pour the sea into that hole. Ah, said Augustine, that is what I've been trying to do. Standing at the ocean of infinity, I've attempted to grasp it with my finite mind. Isn't that true? I mean, God's an infinite being, and you and I are finite, and we're going, hey, God, could you please explain to me what you're doing? God goes, it's past your pay grade. <laughs> it's true. You say, if he didn't do that, I mean, look at the story of Job. Job was really mad at God. He said, hey, listen, God, I've served you all of my life. I've done everything right. And all of a sudden, I've got all these problems. My kids have died. I've lost my money, and I'm totally sick. My wife's telling me to curse God and die. I'm having marriage problems. Hey, 
I got a problem here, God. I've done everything you've asked me to do. What in the world's going on here? I, I don't get it. And you know what I noticed? That I, and I preached through this entire book. And at the end, you get this conversation. You know, Job is demanding that God owes him an answer. Uh, uh, you know, he wants an answer from God. God goes, okay, Job, I'll tell you what. I'll give you an answer. Here, here, here's, here's, here's his response. God spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? In other words, God says, and then he goes on and asks all these questions, and Job goes, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. You don't know me an explanation. And you know, I, I, at the end of that series on Job, I said this question. I said, what do you guys want? Do you want God to explain things to you? Or do you want God's presence in your life? And really, you know what faith is all about? Faith is learning to trust God when you don't have all the answers. But I'm going to tell you something. The more you walk with God, he'll give you a lot of answers, but not all of them. And there's a mystery to some things. So let me move on to the last aspect here. Yeah, the final aspect of God's nature and character is on his strength, and it's exchangeable. Notice what it says here in uh, verse 28. And this is really getting to the heart of the sermon. It says there, Do you not know, and have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. See, the verse before says Jacob had been complaining. The people of God had been complaining. Okay, and he says, don't you know this stuff? Why are you complaining? I want, to, I want you to know God recognizes that often we complain because we're tired. How many, you know, we talk about, you know, we're hungry and we're, you know, we got, we're hangry now, the new terminology, you know, right? We're weary and we, we haven't had anything to eat. You know, it's like having the kids in the backseat of the car and you're, they're starting to get restless. The natives are restless and they're starting to cry out. and they're, You know that they're tired and you know that they're hungry and they start complaining. I think God recognizes how weak we really are and he goes, oh yeah, you guys are complaining? I get it. I know what's going on here. But let me give you something, a little food for your soul that'll keep you on the journey. He says, he gives strength to the weary. How many here can say, you know what? I have been weary, Pastor, with COVID, and I actually need my strength to be renewed. That's you right now. Just raise your hand. Some of you? How many would like to have it come to an end? I got my hand up. Anytime, anytime, Lord. I'm happy. You want to bring it to an end? I'll be real happy with that. But you know what? I'm not going to tell you how to run the universe. That's your job. Whatever you decide, I don't want to be complaining about it. That's not where I want to be. He says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. He says, isn't it amazing that the best of us who have the greatest at our best, when we're, when we're younger, we have more vitality, more energy, we have more strength. He says, even in our best moments, we're going to falter. How many say that's true? And if you don't think that's true, just let a test come your way that's a little bit bigger than you've ever had before, and you're going, oh, my goodness, I can't handle this. It can be overwhelming. 
I think that's why the Lord said, lead, let prayer lead us not into temptation. Don't bring anything on my life that I can't cope with, Lord. I'll just falter. But it says, but those who wait or those who hope in the Lord, some say those who hope in the Lord, some translation, those who wait on the Lord, right? They're going to renew their strength. They're going to soar on wings like eagles. You know, when I think of an eagle, there's two things that come to my mind. First of all, their God-given ability to rise above the storm and their ability to have vision to see what needs to be seen. When we are soaring spiritually, it impacts our ability to handle the storms of life. Right now we're in a storm, and you've got to ask yourself your question, am I an eagle? And you can tell real quickly, if you're not handling this and you're not soaring above it, and it's not, you know, you're just like, okay, no problem, and you have the correct vision about what's going on, then you're probably at a lower level in flight, right? I always love that one, you know. It's hard to soar like an eagle when I'm living among the turkeys. You know, I, you remember read that one? You know, and right now in COVID, I think there's a lot of people in turkey mentality. What do you think? Do you think there's a lot of turkey mentality out there? Or is there a lot of eagle mentality that we're just soaring above the storm? We're going to get there. I remember I promised you something. We're going to start soaring. We're going we're to leave this place like eagles. Anybody ready for that? How many want to soar like an eagle? You want to have vision. Well, first of all, you're getting the vision of who God is. How many see the vision of who God is? Is God bigger than you thought? Is he great? Has he got power? Has he got wisdom? Okay. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. I have to admit, there's days, you know, I had a day this week, I was so tired, I just crawled into bed. You know, I was like, that was a 13-hour day. Thump. I just don't have that stamina. It says, they will run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. You know, people who've lost their spiritual vision are struggling. They're fainting. The analogy is this comparison. We've already talked about youth. I like what Old Testament scholar John Oswald writes. God graciously makes his vitality available to the feeling of the earth. But does the receiving depend on any particular condition? And the answer is yes. It implies two things. Complete dependence on God and a willingness to allow him to decide the terms. In other words, the way I get past where I'm at today is on God's terms, not mine. Okay, I can't get up here like a little child and throw a temper tantrum and tell God I want this on my terms. How many know it doesn't fly with God? How many have ever pulled the temper tantrum on God and he just ignores you? Anybody ever done that? You're telling God everything that needs to be done. You're telling him how to do it. You're, you're carrying on. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're giving all these innuendos and challenges and threats to God, and God's just looking at you like, keep going, kid. I'm not changing anything. You know, it's like, it almost seems like he's indifferent to temper tantrums. He really is. He doesn't fall for that stuff. He wants us to grow up. He says, only one, and it's specified here, hoping in the Lord or waiting on the Lord. This expression implies uh, those two things that we've already mentioned. To wait on him is to admit that we have no other help either in ourselves or in another. Therefore, we are helpless until he acts. But by the same token, to wait on him is to declare our confidence in his eventual action on our behalf. Thus, waiting in the Hebrew word, kawa, or it could be translated hope there, 
is not merely killing time, but a life of expectant conf, uh, uh, of confident expectancy. You know, I, I, I'm going to read something. Yeah, this is my phone, but I, I have a Bible verse here. Because a different translation. It says, this is Eugene Peterson. I was just thinking about this this morning. He says, all around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. He says, the Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling these birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. But that is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. I love that statement. How many know waiting does not diminish a pregnant mother? Doesn't. She's growing with expectation, right? She says, we are enlarged in the waiting. Pregnant mother certainly is. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Wow. What, what, what am I trying to get across to us? Hey, folks, God is working. Listen, he, quotes, he ends this quote by saying, those who give up their own frantic efforts to save themselves and turn expectantly to God will be able to replace or exchange their worn-out strength for new strength. Here, here's what I'm going to say. You know that word renew your strength. That word renew, I remember years ago when I looked at that word, it literally means exchange. I want to declare to you today that God wants to make an exchange with you. If you're dealing with sin, God wants to take your sinfulness and give you his sinlessness. That's called forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? How many say that's beautiful? I love it. I don't deserve it. It's called grace, but I'm, an, I'm up for it. Godless exchange right now. How many would like to exchange your weariness for God's strength? Anybody for that one? Let's stand, because that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to say, God, let's, let's, uh, let's make an exchange. How many here say, I want God to exchange my brokenness for his wholeness, his goodness for my badness, his sinlessness for my sinfulness? My weariness for his enduring strength. My limited perception for his ultimate vision. I want to leave here, Lord, soaring like an eagle. Because that's what you promised me. If I will make this exchange, God says, you will rise up with wings like eagles. You're going to start soaring above the storm that you're in right now. And your vision will be turned so that you will be able to see like an eagle sees. Because he ha you have a new vision. How many say, I need a new vision? where I'm at right now. I need a new vision. We're going to lift our hands to God. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to say, Lord, right now, as we lift our hands, we're making exchanges right now. We're taking our brokenness, our weariness, our frustrations, our anger, Lord, all of the junk inside of us, and we're exchanging it for your divine glory, your wisdom, your presence, your strength, your power, that power under control where we're walking in meekness, 
where we're not flying off the handle. We're not losing it, oh God. That where's joy? Right now, there's some of us, we're so discouraged, we're so weary. Lord, I pray right now we're going to exchange that for your joy in the Holy Ghost. I pray you're going to take our emptiness this morning and you're going to give us your fullness. We're going to be overflowing today so that when we leave this place, there'll be such joy and such hope in our lives that when people encounter us, oh God, they're going to see a people that are full of the Holy Ghost and power. They're going to see people who have victory in their souls instead of defeat in their lives. Lord, help us to be hope purveyors instead of naysayers. Lord, help us to take our anger and frustration and we're going to be filled with peace and hope and joy in the Holy Ghost. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for today because we're experiencing a freedom because we've been living in bondage. Father, we've been believing the lies of the enemy. We've been believing all of these accounts, but today we're believing the eternal, enduring word of the living God that is true in all the circumstances that we feel that we're being crushed by. Lord, they're only temporary. And what you have in store for us is even greater. And Father, we will even declare to you today that our light and temporary afflictions are bringing for us an eternal weight of glory. And we want to thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.